Yes, okay. One chapter that uh, all of their uh, rites is called Ex Oriente Nox, which means darkness uh, coming from the east, as opposed to the usual light coming from the east. Um, and I'm going to skip a few things that have been said by the other speakers and concentrate on the rest. Um, so, Pollock essentially says that National Socialism is really applied mimansa, you know, or applied Vedic orthodoxy. Um, so, his uh, four theses are that National Socialism has invested a lot in Indology, very paid particular attention to India, that prominent Indologists were Nazi party members, that through them Sanskrit texts have inspired the Nazi doctrine, of inborn inequality between different races and with the caste system, and that it also inspired the doctrine of race and of Aryanism. Um, so this can be traced back to the um, uh, genesis of German Orientalism, where you had in Germany a veritable Indomania, um, which, uh, you know, is clearing the work of Friedrich Schlegel, uh, who was, of course, an adept of the uh, out-of-India theory. There was no Aryan theory yet. Um, he uh, makes something of the fact that this theory lasted a bit longer in Germany than in Britain, which had a more hands-on relation with India and quicker also saw the uh, political advantages of the Aryan invasion theory. But anyway, you see, by the time of the Nazis, this out-of-India theory was long forgotten. So at that time, the, auto, the Aryan invasion theory was simply the reigning orthodoxy. Then in 1816, uh, scientific Orientalism starts with the publication by Franz Bopp of a critical grammar of Sanskrit. Um, essentially, what he does to Sanskrit is what numerous scholars for centuries already had been doing with Latin and Greek. And so there is nothing revolutionary there. Um, however, the main inspiration there, and not Sanskrit, this is not a, a very new thing, and the thing that inspires Germany at that moment is Greece. You know, there is a big enthusiasm for Greece, uh, which is in fact not only there in the 19th century in academe. Hitler personally was also a Philhellene, as they say, a, a lover of Greece. Um, then um, he also recognizes, Pollock recognizes that um, the modern um, academic science really originated in Germany, especially with the creation of the Berlin University by Wilhelm von Humboldt. And so this one German term you would probably all know, Wissenschaft, meaning science. Um, and the big quality of Wissenschaft is objectivity. Now, uh, for example, Leopold von Ranke, uh, the founder of uh, historiography, he defines history as reconstructing the affairs as they have really been. Now, note, you see, this shows a belief in objectivity, in the possibility of objectively finding out the truth. Pollock himself is not quite convinced of this. You see, in an aside at the end of his paper, he says that mercifully, you see, uh, my thesis against uh, 
you know, the involvement of National Socialism and so on, also adds, you know, a weapon against objectivity. You know, in that sense, he's a, fo a follower of postmodernism, the idea that there is no objective reality, that there are only different viewpoints. And so, as a, as a philosophical hype, postmodernism is a bit outdated, but its influence in academia is still absolutely there. And so he sees that as a, an important precondition for the genesis of National Socialism. Now, he says that there is a lot of interest among the Nazis in Indology, but in fact he never substantiates this. Uh, he brings in one figure, namely uh, one that is given in a 1904 paper by the British Orientalist Rich Davids, who counts, uh, I think, five or six times more Indologists in Germany than in England. Well, it is true, it is precisely because of that academic spirit of thoroughness in Germany that in that field, as in many others, there were more academics in, in Germany. And so this has nothing to do with the Nazi period. The Nazis inherited, you know, uh, an intense uh, Indology and they didn't add anything to it. And so, it's um, already been quoted, uh, Reinhold Grunendahl, you know, goes back to the original sources, you know, the academic annuaries and so on, and he shows that, you know, this is simply not true. Um, then, he remarks that Indology professors um, had a remarkable sympathy for the Nazi regime. Now, he lists about one-third of the Indologists as Nazi party members. But you see, that is not particularly more than in other departments, because you know, maybe if you're a, a dock worker or a coal miner or something, your reputation isn't very important. It's just the labor that you can give. But, you know, for professors, they have a high visibility. So for them, it is fairly important to be in the good books of the establishment. So many of them play along, but only few of them really have their heart in it. Um, so Walter Rust, of course, is one famous Indologist who was really a Nazi. He was a member of the SS. However, even in Rust's case, and much less in, in, in the other cases, is he able to give one example of any Sanskrit idea directly being translated into a Nazi policy line. And so you see the Shastras are completely absent from Nazi discourse. Then he also makes his argument by uh, smuggling with terminology. You see, several times he slips over from India, Indian Indology, to Indo-Germanic, Indo-European. Now these are completely different ideas in, in the, the Nazi mind. Because Indo-European, in their view, means Nordic. You know, the original Indo-Europeans were Nordic, and then they started roaming the world, and they went to India, and they, they mixed, and so on. But the original pure Indo-Europeans were Nordic, and Indian culture is interesting insofar only as it has retained these Nordic elements. For example, Jakob Hauer, he was a, a very good Indologist, in fact, uh, who had lived in India. Now, you know, when he talked about um, uh, India, he was not getting funds, he was not getting any interest. Then you see, he, he saw where the wind was coming from, he started talking about Indo-Germanish, and then suddenly he could found an institute and so on. 
uh, the Aryan race was deemed to be white. And so you see, this is the entire Nazi worldview, which is encapsulated in the Aryan invasion theory. Namely, the dynamic whites have no problem invading the country of these indolent dark people. Then they create the Vedas. At that time, they're still pure Aryans, so the Vedas are worth reading. They're still okay. Um, and then they impose the caste system as a kind of racial apartheid system to retain the racial distance from the natives. So therefore, you see, race laws are good, you know, and the Aryans already knew it back then. However, they still mixed somewhat. You know, like uh, you have the Pandava brothers who, you know, start something with Draupadi and so on. And so this is all interpreted as mixing between the invaders and the natives. Um, so therefore, you see, the later Indian culture is much less interesting because there you already have a lot of degeneration. And like the asceticism, you know, is deemed to be, uh, uh, you know, fo being foreign to the world, you know, being retiring from the world is something for losers. So this whole thing about yoga and meditation and so on is a form of degeneracy. And therefore, it is a good thing that whiter people have again invaded India and dominated the Indians because it's good for them. You know, I mean, there's a somewhat, you know, a mistake about racism that it is a form of hate against the lower people. No, on the contrary. It wants the best for these other races, <laughs> namely by providing them with the leadership by superior people. That is for their own good. Now, um, Pollock also uh, says explicitly in a few places, or insinuates or implies in other places, that the Nazis essentially were on the same wavelength as the Indian nationalists with the out of India theory. And so there, you know, he makes the link with Schlegel, who effectively was a believer in the out of India theory, but that was already long ago. Um, so this would bracket the Hindu nationalists with Hitler. That's exactly where he wants them. But the reality is just the reverse. You see, at that time, every European believed in the Aryan invasion theory, but it is the Nazis, especially, who invested a lot ideologically. I must note here that in one passage, he does acknowledge that the, the German view of uh, Aryan origins has changed, but he doesn't go into it, he doesn't repeat it, and he reverts back to his earlier view. Uh, to me, that indicates, like a few other passages on other themes, it indicates that he has a fairly weak grasp of the matter he's talking about. You see, apparently he was so fired up you know, say, making an ideological statement that, you know, the ground on which he was treading was a bit weak. Now, Hitler himself on India would, in fact, easily clear up the confusion. <laughs> because, you know, Hitler himself has spoken out, has written, it's black and white, it's in cold print, what he thought of India. Namely, we know that the Hindus in India are a people mixed uh, from the lofty Aryan immigrants with the dark or black original population. 
and that they are bearing the consequences for it today. Namely, that they are degenerate, weak, confused, and so on. Um, and so it has become a slave people, almost like a second jewelry. Uh, elsewhere in Mein Kampf, he lambasts Asians in general as mountebanks and as only good for prayer wheels. Um, he was against Indian independence. You know, he was not for genocide against Indian independence. He just wasn't interested enough. You see, the Jews were a, a present problem for him. The Indians, not so much. It didn't matter. But at any rate, they should be kept in their place. And in fact, his own view of you know, the planned German domination of Russia um, was being fulfilled right then in India, you know, where the British, a Germanic people originating in Germany, moreover, were dominating a dark people. He also lambasted Subhas Bose's regiment that was fighting for him, you know, saying that, you know, they're not worth anything. It's, it's, we do it for diplomatic purposes, but militarily they're not worth it. Uh, which, incidentally, is not true, you know. They were very good fighters, very efficient, but that's a different story. Um, then the Buddha, strangely, the Buddha is very much glorified by Pollock. You know, all the time, you see, he gives this typical view, very common among Indologists nowadays, Hinduism bad, Buddhism good. And yet, the only person he quotes from uh, Nazi sources who is an Indian and who is being praised is the Buddha. And um, you see, it's logical that the Buddha is liked by the Nazis. He is described in Buddhist sources as tall and light-skinned. So he was still an Aryan. He was not degenerate. Um, by contrast, for instance, uh, Lakshmidhara or Umarila, um, mentioned by Pollock, are never quoted by him. There is no link between them and national socialism. Um, then, you know, other um, Nazis might have thought and have effectively thought that the Buddha already was part of the degenerate phase and that therefore his whole system of spirituality and so on, of non-violence in particular, you know, that was seen as very weak, you know, uh, the, the races that have the future before them, you know, are the ones who win, who fight, you know, who kill the others. And so this non-violence was deemed very weak, very degenerate. Um, Hitler himself was very anti-religious. You see, I mean, many of his thought forms of his prejudices and so on come directly from his Catholic upbringing. In the very first place is anti-Semitism. Um, because, you see, here it has been mentioned there was first a pagan anti-Semitism, well, it was very limited, and I think the author cited has very much exaggerated it, uh, because the Romans faced the problem of the Jews not wanting to sacrifice to the emperor, but they solved it, you know, in consultation with the Jews, by having the Jews bring sacrifices to their own God for the benefit of the emperor. So, you know, that solved the problem. Anyway, so for Christianity, it's far more fundamental. Um, and that, of course, also Pollock could have mentioned, but does not. Um, so Hitler was an ex-Catholic and very anti-religious, and um, so he lambasts Buddhism and religion in general. 
um, and so it's unwarlike and hence and un-Germanic. Um, then about the word Aryan, um, I don't have to tell you that it is of Sanskrit origin. Um, the racial concept of Arya is totally unknown in India. Um, though, of course, uh, European Orientalists thought differently because they had projected their own racism in the translation of the texts. And so when you read only the translation, you might think that race is very much there. And so, uh, principally in the Battle of the Ten Kings in the Rig Veda, you have a confrontation with blacks. You know, that's a, a very wrong translation, apart from the fact that black is often used simply as imagery, you know, for anything that is negative, like Mohammed says that Satan is black, you know. But even that is not the case here. You have the river Asikni. The enemy lived in the Asikni River. Asikni is a river in West Punjab. And so that's where the Iranians live. And so the Indians and the Iranians fought the battle. And the Iranians are called the Asikni Jana, meaning the fellows from the Asikni. But mistranslated as the black fellows, because Asikni literally means black, the black river. So you see, these are fairly silly mistakes that have had enormous consequences. Uh, yes, then of course Darwinism and so on. I mean, there are very many sources that explain the phenomenon of national socialism. You don't need Sanskrit for it at all. Um, yes, uh, as for vegetarianism, in India many people thought, oh, Hitler must be great because he's vegetarian and he brought the swastika. Now, this vegetarianism was part of a, you know, health, uh, health conscious movement in Germany. And I mean, Germany during the uh, interbellum was known for that, you know, as a country of new ideas about ecology and healthy living and so on. So it's part of that, it has nothing at all to do with India. The swastika, same thing. The swastika is pretty universal. You don't need India for that. And particularly in the Baltic, it is a very common symbol still today. And so German soldiers returning from the First World War went to Lithuania to fight against the Bolsheviks. And so there they picked up the swastika as a symbol, then brought it back to Germany, and this is how it started. Um, as for genocide, uh, he makes a lot of the fact that these Indologists in the 1930s became Nazi party members and so on, and links this to genocide. It says the ultimate goal of Orientalism is genocide. Now, and here, of course, I tread more dangerous waters because I'm going to make a, take a, a position on the evolution of National Socialism. You see, there are two schools in history called the Intentionalists and the Functionalists. And at the time in 93, when he wrote this, the debate was still going on. So Pollock may be forgiven for taking the losing position. Uh, namely, he thought that the idea of genocide was present in National Socialism since the beginning, since 1920. Now you see there are no documents from the 20s or 30s showing this. Um, and so the function of this thesis has practically won the day, which is that in beginning war circumstances, this idea came to the mind. Well, Himmler still in 1940 uh, considered this idea and explicitly gave reasons why it should not be done. But then by 1941 he had changed his mind. 
so you see, in the 30s, you could be a national socialist and never have thought about genocide. So again, you see, he made so, too much of this. And again, you see, all these symbologists, even the Nazis about them, have never written anything about genocide. If they had, Pollock would not have missed it. Um, and of course, even if it was in the in the Indologist writing, which is not the case, it certainly was not present in the Sanskrit writings. Uh, as for caste, well, caste is of course the opposite of genocide. You see, if if, if the Americans had um, had applied the caste system in America, you know, they would have. Uh, given the Native Americans a place in their society, maybe a lower place, that's deplorable, but at any rate, they would not have killed them. Mm -hmm. And so here also, you know, the Dalits and so on are not being exterminated, never have been. Um, incidentally, the uh, Nazis hosted this regiment by Subhash Bose. Now, interestingly, it was the only Indian army at that point that was not caste-based. The regiments in the British Indian Army were Rajput regiments, um, Maratha regiment, and so on. This was not, you see, they all had to eat together in spite of all their taboos, Hindus and Muslims together. It was a very progressive army. And so, you see, either way, the Nazis didn't care. Also, National Socialism itself was not against social mobility. Hitler himself had, you know, risen up, came from down below and became the top leader. So, you see, this idea of social layeredness was not so important to them. In fact, on the contrary, nationalism meant precisely to have one nation. That unity was important. The borders with other nations, they were much further. But the nation itself, there you could move around. And so, as an application of caste, you have a strong anti-Brahminism in Indology in general, in Pollock in particular. Uh, in fact, somehow it never strikes them that much of this anti-Brahminism is exactly what anti-Semitism was in Europe. I mean, if you want to draw comparisons between India and Germany, that might be more apt. Um, now, Hitler was also a kind of anti-Brahminist because, you know, on that point he doesn't say anything explicit. But you see, he says that hereditary priesthoods are very harmful. And this is, of course, the case of <laughs> Brahmin caste. Uh, so he says, you see, that these uh, priesthoods that draw themselves apart from society, you see, they start to live on their own, and they don't interact with the others and they started not concerning themselves with the others and so on. So it's a very negative development. And he gives us example of the Catholic priesthood. Because you see, he was an ex-Catholic by conviction, but in terms of institutions, he was a great admirer of the Catholic Church. And so the Catholic priesthood is drawn from the people. Because of its celibacy, it cannot go from father to son. And so he thinks this is a very good thing. That way they are very concerned with the people, very much in solidarity with the people. So in that sense, you see, anti-Brahminism was as much in Hitler as in Pollock. So there again, as on the Aryan invasion question, 
Hitler all of the same struggle. So the question to Hindus that they themselves have to decide, do you think that the Sanskrit tradition should be entrusted to someone who has taken a position on Sanskrit that is the most hostile position possible? You see, in India, the view of the Second World War is nuanced. Like some Indians, for instance, fought on the side of the British. Some fought on the side of the Germans and the Japanese. In 1945, this was all completely forgotten. Jawaharlal Nehru, um, who was rather pro-British, he volunteered to be an advocate of the lieutenants of Subhash Bose. And so, you know, at that time it was simply agreed, you know, Savarkar was for recruitment in the British Army, Subhash Bose brought people into the Japanese Army, you know, but both of them had the best interests of India in mind. So ultimately, it's not so important what they did for the others, it's what they did for India that is important. So India has a rather level-headed view of the Second World War. Well, not in America, there they have an extremely uh, black and white view. Anything, anyhow tainted with the losing camp is completely demonized. So, you see, if... if um, the Sanskrit tradition is racist, is casteist, anti-egalitarian, that's bad. But that they have caused the Holocaust, that is absolutely devilish. You see, you cannot possibly get worse than that. So if you say that about the Sanskrit tradition, I don't think you are the man who should you know, take care of these uh, translations. Thank you.